Welcome to Management 101, your home for learning about management and leadership in business. Now, here is your host, Max Winokur. Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Winokur. Thanks for joining me today. Today, we're going to talk about the mistakes that I have made as a manager. If we talked about all the mistakes I'd made as a manager, we would be here a while, but I narrowed it down to five that I thought were representative ones in terms of common mistakes that managers might make, both new and experienced ones, as well as representative in the sense that the learnings can be broadly applied when you're managing people. Before we get into the mistakes themselves, or learning experiences is probably a better way to describe them, I want to talk through the philosophy of learning to be a people manager. I think it is very common for a person to become a manager when they've never been one before and not necessarily know exactly what to do, but also not attempt to learn how to be one. I've seen lots of people become managers and just act in the way that they think they are supposed to rather than trying to identify what behaviors will lead to the outcomes that they want. This was a big problem that I recognized early on in my work at Uber. We were in a period of very fast growth and a lot of people who had previously not been managers were being promoted into managerial roles simply because there were bodies needed in the management capacity. And it wasn't possible to hire people fast enough to take on those roles. So you had a lot of people who had previously been really good analysts or really good operations managers or really good engineers who were getting promoted into the next role without having learned about how to be a manager. And this was still in the relatively early days of Uber. So we didn't have big training programs or learning and development teams who could help people learn to be managers. And the result was that you had a lot of folks who simply were not good at managing and had really no way of learning how to be a good manager. For me, the big difference between those who ultimately became good managers and those who didn't were, was whether they listened and whether they attempted to learn from what they heard. The reason I bring that up is because I think that is a common thread throughout every new manager development that I have witnessed at every company without really good training programs in place you're really relying on someone to completely develop themselves into a manager. And it's quite a crapshoot whether that person will end up being able to reflect enough and listen enough to identify what they're doing well and what, more importantly, what they're not doing well that they need to improve on. And even with great training programs, you need someone who's open to learning about how to do things rather than assuming that they know how to do things. I am very fortunate in that I am naturally a very reflective person. I think it is what has made me a good manager in the past. And it what makes me a good professional is that I'm constantly trying to figure out how something went, why it went that way and what could have been done better. 
And I think if, if you take away anything from what I'm going to talk about today, it's that maybe the number one most important thing that you can do as a manager is just assume you don't know everything and really try to hear others as they provide you feedback, seek it out and try to reflect on the outcomes of your team and your organization while you are managing it and figure out what it is that you could do to help improve those next time. Like I said, today we're going to be talking about some of the mistakes that I believe I've made as a people manager. I have, of course, removed all of the identifying information from these examples. I'm going to talk through them one by one first, describing the mistake and then talking through the lesson I learned from it. As I'm looking at these here, it kind of looks like the the sins of management that I'm about to describe that I need to atone for. Let's get started. The first mistake I'm going to talk through today is the mistake of underdelegating. I have talked through this example in previous episodes before, so I'm going to keep it relatively short. In fact, I've done a whole episode on delegation. When I first became a manager, I had previously been just an analyst or an operations manager, but not of people. And I was really good at that job. That is why I got promoted into being a manager. I told my manager, hey, I want to grow in this organization. I believe I would like to manage people or at least like to try it. And my manager gave me the opportunity to do so. So I became a manager one day, literally from one day to the next, suddenly I was a people manager and my team of, I don't know, four or six people reported to me. And I started having one-on-ones, thought they were going pretty well. But one day my manager came to me and said, your team doesn't feel like you're actually managing them. Tried to dig into that a little bit, figure out why. Thought to myself, I am having one-on-ones. We are talking through what they're up to. My manager said, you're not actually helping them learn or grow or delegating anything to them. I thought, well, why would I delegate stuff to them? I'm already doing it. They're already doing their own work. And this manager said, if you're just going to keep doing all of your work, you're actually not going to spend enough time with your team to really help them be effective. And it was true. I wasn't hosting team meetings and I was having pretty short one-on-ones, maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And we were hardly talking about anything when I reflected on it. And my manager said, you need to be able to delegate in order to do the responsibilities of being a manager. It's not just keep doing your work and now you've got the manager title. The only way to take on management responsibilities is to offload some of your other ones. And I had had the problem of feeling like if I handed something off, then that other person was not going to do it nearly as effectively as I would. And I decided that I didn't want to hand things off because it made more sense for me to keep owning them. What this manager called out to me was that that was a logical fallacy. Of course, if I didn't teach a team member, didn't document something in the right way, didn't create all the right trainings, they were not going to do it as well as me. If all the information lived in my brain, of course I was going to do these things better than anyone else. 
this manager told me was you need to go document these and then train the team on them and then spend some time managing them instead of doing this work. So I took a couple days, I documented all the things that I was doing and built trainings for each of the team members. Each team member is going to take on one of these things. And after a few weeks of this process of handing off this work, they were doing these things as well as I was, and in some cases better. They had more time to dedicate to these things, so they actually were able to develop on these processes and, and projects further than I could. I was managing them, so I was now taking a expert but somewhat removed view on the work and could help them identify potential blockers, could talk through issues that I experienced when running the process that we could then brainstorm on, could help fit their work into the larger picture because I was also aware of what other teams were working on and I'd built relationships with stakeholders and other teams. This made a lot more sense. People felt like they were developing, they were taking on additional responsibilities, they were learning how to master those responsibilities, and I was helping them do all of that. So in the initial version of this, I was not delegating nearly enough, if anything, to my team. Everyone was suffering for it. And after I had a talking to from my manager at the time, I was able to make that shift and delegate work that, of course, it in the long term, it made no sense for me to do. If I extrapolated this out to one day, I'd be the CEO of this company, let's say, and I was still working on this one driver incentive program, you'd think I was crazy. Well, that's a kind of slippery slope. As you get more senior, if you're not able to delegate things, then you're just going to keep those things under you and they won't get the attention they need. You won't be able to give your team the attention they need. So I think for me, the lesson here that I learned was figure out what can be boxed up and handed off. You as a manager are responsible for ensuring your team's success, not doing all the work of the team. And the only way to ensure the team's success is to dedicate enough time to actually managing them. And where you have spare bandwidth, that doesn't necessarily need to be dedicated to doing more work. It should be dedicating to figure out ways to make your team more effective. Whether that's refocusing the strategy of the team to be more directly aligned with the company's priorities, whether that's hiring, whether that's diving deeper with your highest performers to help them unlock new sets of skills and responsibilities. That's how you dedicate your time as a manager, not doing individual contributor work. And so if something can be handed off by boxing it up, you should do that because your time will always be better spent managing people if you're a manager of a team. Mistake number two, the mistake of over-delegating or conversely, under-supervising. I had a member of one of my teams whose goal was to become a manager. This person had made it very clear over the course of numerous professional development discussions that they really wanted to be a people manager. I didn't ask a whole lot of questions as to why they wanted to become a people manager and that in itself might have been a mistake in its own right. But I was very aware that they wanted to become a people manager. This person was one of the 
highest performers on the team and certainly deserved the opportunity to take on more responsibility. We had a manager who was leaving the team and it seemed like a pretty perfect opportunity to let this person who was trying to become a manager take on this role. They were the highest performer in the team. They were also the most senior person in the team in terms of experience. They were literally there since the team was built. And so I put this person in the role. I assumed that this person would take some time to develop into a good people manager. I have this person in some of my basic management courses, but other than offering some basic management classes, I guess, which I offered to everyone in the team and in the rest of the office, I really didn't spend much time making sure that this person was being a good manager. One day after a couple months, I was talking to another manager in the team and this manager said to me, hey, I think that this person's team is not super happy with this person as a manager. I asked for some more detail and the individual was not super comfortable bringing up more details to me because it was clear that they had heard this from one particular person who was speaking on behalf of the team, but maybe not in a formal way. Maybe these two people had had some lunch table conversation where person A who came to me was hearing from person B who was on another team that that team isn't too happy with a new manager. I decided to look into it a bit because I certainly didn't want folks on my team to be unhappy with their managers. I had had so many situations where I was unhappy with my managers that I, I certainly did not want to voice that on anyone else. And I was also aware that having a bad manager can be a really performance degrading experience. So I decided to have some skip level check-ins with this person's team. And in those check-ins, I asked some more direct questions than I think I'd normally do or normally did at that point related to their experience with this person as their manager. And universally, they said, this person is not a good manager. They are not providing any guidance to me on how to do my work. They are not providing any support to me in terms of getting the work done. They're not unblocking blockers, which I think to me is one of the core tenets of good people management is getting stuff out of the way so that your team can do work. And this person was providing feedback in ways that made individuals in the team quite uncomfortable. Now, I knew this manager to be a good person. They were one of the original members of my team, and I knew for a fact they were not doing any of this intentionally. But regardless of intention, what was clear was the outcome was really bad. The team was unhappy. I actually had someone threaten to leave if they didn't get their manager changed basically went very poorly. And unfortunately, it took me many months to learn that because I wasn't creating a space for the team to really tell me what was going on. So once I discovered this, I had a more formal sit down with individual members of the team to ask 
for some more specific examples that I could bring back to this manager. And then I sit down with the manager where I said, okay, it's been four or five months or whatever it's been. I did some check-ins with your team to see how things were going. And there are some areas that they are concerned about that I think need pretty immediate remediation in order to ensure the team stays where it is. Because I think there are some folks who, for whatever reason, haven't been comfortable providing you feedback, but they are unhappy. And to this manager's credit, they were incredibly understanding. They also felt that it was not going very well, but they couldn't put their finger on why. So when I brought this up, this was just validation to them that their concerns were valid. And what we ultimately decided was that they simply actually, it turns out, did not want to be a people manager. It sounded good to them in theory, but the actual stuff that they had to do in order to be a successful people manager was stuff that they didn't enjoy doing, stuff like development conversations and really getting a deep understanding of their team and trying to identify ways to help those individuals learn new skills. This person really preferred to just be doing work themselves. And over the course of this conversation, that became very obvious. And fortunately, we found an opportunity for this person that was on another team that was not as a manager, and I was able to move those other folks under a much more effective people manager. So the story ended well, and I'm actually still very close to this team, and I think overall I did not lose trust with them because I ultimately did take action even if it was too late. But I think the lesson here was my first mistake in this was simply appointing this person to be a people manager without giving them any sort of opportunity to test out their skills first. And then letting them be and just assuming they'd figure it out. And I don't know that I actively assumed that they'd figured it out, but I certainly didn't take any action to ensure that they had checkpoints so that they could, so that they would have the opportunity to learn and make mistakes and get feedback on those mistakes and figure out how to shift. Instead, I just let them be. And what ended up happening I just simply wasn't supervising close enough. This person did not develop into the manager that I expected them to, and the team was incredibly unhappy and unproductive because of it. So the lesson here, trust but verify, as Reagan said. You want to have checks in place to ensure that when you hand things off to someone, whether it's them taking on a new role, then taking on a new set of responsibilities, that they have the tools both to be successful as well as the checkpoints to ensure that you are aware of how it's going and can help them course correct when needed. The third mistake I've made as a manager that I'm going to talk about today is the mistake of under communicating. By the way, I don't think that there's the mistake of over communicating. Yes, there was under delegating and over delegating. Now there's under communicating. The next one is not over communicating. I I am not sure that that's a thing, and if it is, it's generally a, a problem I'd rather have than the opposite, let's put it that way. So the mistake of under-communicating. I joined a team that was growing very quickly and didn't have any managers at the time, but was growing so fast that I think when I took the team on, it was maybe 10 people. It was in very short order going to be an overwhelming number of people to directly manage, and I was joining a team where I didn't know much about the work. So 
that would have made it even more challenging for me to be an effective manager for so many different individuals. My boss in this role recommended that I just choose the three most experienced people to take on management work for this team. And I decided to do that because I didn't think I had a better option. It seemed like these three individuals not only were the most experienced in the team, but also very high performers. And I made what is uh, now I think of as a pretty classic management mistake of just promoting someone into a role because they're doing a good job in the in the lower level one. So I put these three ex really experienced individuals into the roles of managers. None of them had been managers before, but two of them grew into the management role really well. They demonstrated an aptitude for learning about being a people manager. They demonstrated excitement about getting feedback from their team and figuring out how to be, how to do better and how to provide guidance to their team and all the basics of being a people manager of individual contributors who are doing work. The other one really struggled. And it was clear that this person was struggling first because their team was not performing nearly as well as the other two teams. And I wanted to give some grace for that because they all had slightly different responsibilities. These were teams that were divided up by region. And whenever you have teams that are divided by region, there's a lot that goes into performance that's simply out of their control because different regions of a country, of a world, can just perform differently for a bunch of different reasons. Seasonality looks different. The individual customers look different. All kinds of stuff. So I wanted to give some grace for that. But beyond that, it was clear that this person's team wasn't having nearly as effective one-on-ones, which I was learning about through the check-ins with them. They were not having quote unquote team meetings in the same way where they were talking through goals for the week. It was just a quick update. What's everyone doing? Kind of like a, a stand-up more than a team meeting. And it was also clear that this person was struggling individually with being a manager because they were very stressed all the time. I tried to give some feedback on how it was going and, and what could be done to improve performance. And I didn't really see much improvement, but I also, and this is a mistake on my part, I think felt uncomfortable giving feedback because it, it appeared to me as if this person was particularly sensitive to critical feedback. And given that they were already very stressed, I worried that providing them critical feedback at any given moment might really put them over the edge and make them unable to perform at all. I was worried about an emotional breakdown of some sort. And so I unintelligently decided not to be direct with my feedback. One day, this manager who was struggling came to me in our one-on-one -on -one and broke down. They started crying, almost unprompted when I asked just how it's going. And they explained to me just how much of a struggle this role was and that they were really unhappy in it. And they wondered if it might make sense to go back to the original role that they were in where they had been incredibly successful. First, I attempted to comfort them and say, hey, any new role is hard, um, but I hear you. I definitely don't want you to be unhappy. I think that people should be in roles where they feel they can learn and be successful. And it sounds like this is not quite the right role for you. So let me 
think about how to approach this and we'll talk again in a couple days. In the intervening time, I thought, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. They are not doing a good job in the role and it seems like they want to stop doing the role. This solves both problems, the performance problem and the personal problem that they're having with the role. So I said, great. I, I had another conversation with this person. And I said, we'll move you back to the previous role you're in. No change in compensation. Don't want you to be punished for shifting roles. And we will bring another manager in to run the team. And I thought, great. This went really well. They seemed kind of hesitant when I said this to them, but thanked me. And overall, they seemed a lot less stressed after that. A little while later, my boss who did check-ins with my direct reports, what we call skip levels, and is a very common practice, said, you have overall incredible feedback from your direct reports, except this one person who you put back into an individual contributor role. I thought to myself, I wonder why that is. I felt like I was doing this person a favor by moving them back to this role and it seemed like it was better for everyone because their team was also struggling and were clearly much happier when this person went back to the, their original role. What could be happening here? My boss said, this person felt like they brought up to you concerns in an emotional and anxious moment. And you took those concerns and turned them into taking their job away. So what I had perceived to be someone coming to me and saying, I really am unhappy in this role, and I think I should go back to my other role, was actually them saying, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job, and I'm looking for comfort that it will be okay, that I am capable of this, that they, that I was going to, that they were going to get support from me. And I simply interpreted it as, oh, they said they want to go back to their other role. I'll let them go back to their other role. So I wasn't actually listening or I was taking what they said at face value and not understanding the nuance of what they were saying. And what I was really actually trying to do was solve my own problem of they were doing a bad job. And I think the lesson here, so I ultimately talked to this person and said, hey, I, I understand now what happened. To be clear, I think this decision, while... It was made maybe not through the best process was the right one. I don't think this organization has the support you need in order to develop into an amazing people manager right now. Not to say that you never will be a people manager, but I do think that this is a better fit for your skill set and what the organization needs right now. But I am really sorry for taking, making that decision based on you coming to me and saying you were unhappy rather than me trying to comfort you, help you develop, and then making that decision only once we really try exhausted all the options. So I apologized for it, but I think the lesson here was that because I avoided that original difficult conversation with this person I knew they weren't performing well, and I was purposely avoiding being direct about it because I was worried that I'd put them over the edge. I actually made things a lot worse later on and for a lot longer. I, I think that person will never think of me as a great people manager. I think the organization probably suffered from 
this person's shift back and forth between roles. And that person may for a long time lack trust in the organization and lack some of the drive to really succeed in and achieve their potential. And it was because I avoided that difficult conversation with them in the beginning. So this was the mistake I was talking about of under communicating. I chose to withhold information and that was ended up being to everyone's detriment, including my own. Next mistake, mistake number four. This is the mistake of unilateral decision-making. Turns out that if you are a manager of a team, that does not make you an autocrat. I know that's a crazy thought, right? So I was running a team that had been organized historically by points in the customer life cycle. So you had uh, new customer onboarding, you had a customer engagement and a customer churn team. And that structure existed throughout a lot of the company. It wasn't, wasn't a crazy structure or anything like that. And it worked really well for a long time. Over time, I started to realize that these teams were getting focused on lower and lower impact work. And the reason was because in terms of customer onboarding, there are really only so many big things to tackle when taking that lens to an organization. Once you develop a great customer onboarding process, that's the zero to one, right? Then from there, it's just tweaking. You're going from one to 1.1 rather than zero to one. So over time, as we were getting, if you think about the list of things that you can do to impact a set of metrics, in theory, you're going to go in descending order of priority. And after 18 months of this team's existence, we'd really knocked off all the major opportunities. And so this team, as well as the other teams, was starting to get focused on less and less impactful work. So I realized that the problem was the way we were organized. And I identified that a change in structure might be really helpful. So I decided I hate org change. I've been through so many org changes that went really poorly where communication was bad and people feel like they were just left out to dry and it kills morale and really reduces loyalty to the organization because people just don't feel taken care of. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to start with the basic issue, which is we need to figure out what the top opportunities are for our team to address. We knew the overall purview of the team in terms of what my organization was responsible for. Let's just forget what what individual sub teams were on. Let's just talk through what are the biggest problems that people think we need to solve for the customer. We had a big offsite workshop. We rented a meeting space in another part of town. We had an all-day meeting and I want to say laser tag afterward, something like that. I got I might have gotten that wrong. We had some sort of activity afterward. Oh, it was a it was a grilling competition. Every team had to grill something and then it would be blind taste tested by the managers. It was really fun. That's where the fun ended. So I digested all these ideas that the team came up with, and some of them were fantastic. When we talked through what are the problems we can solve and how can we solve them, getting everyone in a room was really productive, and I thought it was a great exercise. Team felt really engaged and 
close to one another and it really felt like we, we could conquer the world. So I digested all that information and I said, okay, I am realizing now that the problems that we need to solve really fall into two different buckets. And those two buckets are what our, the way that our team should be organized going forward. So I built a presentation to show to my manager. I said, this is how our team's organized now. This is the problem with that. Here's what I learned from the team when I asked them what they thought the biggest problems were for the customer. Here's how I organized those in my brain. And then here's how I think the team could look being divided into those functions. And I, I vividly remember this. My manager responded, it was on Slack. They said, wow, this is very strategic. And I was very proud of myself. I thought, oh, I've come up with a great org change that is going to be really impactful for the company and make everyone significantly more effective in their work. Great. So I brought it to my managers and said, hey, here's the deal. Here's the new teams. And then presented it to the, to the team. And I said, this is based on all your feedback around what problems you think need to be solved and how we can go about solving them. We're going to reorganize into these groups that are based on that. And people freaked out. I thought that I was involving them in the process and that this was a logical conclusion. But if you ask any of them, the perception was you completely changed my responsibilities and also in many cases who my manager was. And I didn't get any say in that. You just told me it one day and then I was reporting to this new manager with a totally new set of projects. That reaction was so universal that I actually really feared that I had lost trust in the team entirely. You could just tell the mood really shifted after this org change. And I thought to myself, this is exactly what I was trying to avoid. I really hate org changes and I thought I'd hacked the system. I got the team together and you'll see this theme a lot. I do think being a manager or being a leader requires apologizing sometimes when you make mistakes. If you can't apologize and own up to what you've done to cause a problem, even if you aren't the entire cause of the problem, then no one else will in your organization. So set the example by recognizing the part that you play. So I said, look, it's clear something that did not go well here. I had intended to have this be a very collaborative change process, and the end result has been something that many of you feel blindsided by and unhappy with. And I sincerely apologize for anything that I did or did not do that led to that outcome. We are here now, and my goal is to get this team back on track. I think it's an exceptional group of individuals doing amazing work. And the thing that I care most about is ensuring that you all are satisfied in your roles and have great opportunities to be successful and you want to be here. What happened that led to the, those things not being the case anymore? And we had the big team meeting where everyone talked about how they felt this blindsidedness that I re referred to earlier. And at the end of that meeting, I realized that what I had to do was what I failed to do was involve them in the second part of the process. All the ideas 
yeah, they were very involved in. It was a very collaborative effort. But then when we got to implementation, how those ideas would be executed on, I didn't involve them at all. I made this PowerPoint. I showed it to my boss. I showed it to their managers more as an FYI than for input. And I didn't show it to any of them until it was ready to roll out. So no wonder they felt blindsided. And so I said, let's sit down. Here, here are the set of problems we need to solve. I am very open to changing the structure either of individual reporting lines or of how these teams are set up. If you think that there's a better way to do this, I want you all to feel like you're a part of the process and that the outcome is based on your feedback. So I said, take a few days to think about it. I will then set up one-on-ones with each of you individually to talk through what your set of responsibilities are, who your manager is, and whether you think either of those should be changed. A couple of days went by and started to have these one-on-ones and by and large, everyone said the same thing, which is, thank you for giving me the opportunity to feel like I have a say in this process and to give you feedback. I actually think what you came up with was the right solution. I agree these projects are actually very exciting. I'm generally excited to report to this person and we had good managers in the team. And so I'm okay with what we ended up at, what you ended up presenting to us a week ago. It turned out that after going through all of these one-on-ones, actually no one had changes that they wanted to make. So the unhappiness stemmed not from this was a bad outcome, but rather they weren't a part of it. And so much so was it that and not the actual outcome that when I gave them the opportunity to change the outcome, no one actually took advantage of it. They just said, thank you for letting me participate this time. And I like what you came up with which was actually what they had come up with too, to some extent, because they had all been part of the ideation session where we talked through the problems that needed to be solved. So I think the lesson here was people want to feel heard. They want to be brought on the journey with you. Even if something, even if a decision around org structure or priorities or project plans makes perfect sense to you, that in no way means that it makes perfect sense to someone else. And that also isn't even that relevant because most, for the most part, what people want is to feel like they were listened to and that the person who's making decisions heard them. This is a perfect encapsulation of that. And I hope to never make that mistake again. I now fall on the side of over-communicating, of over-asking questions. At the end of the day, I think folks know when I'm managing them that I, I hold ultimate decision-making power, as is true for any manager but they will always be asked for their input as part of that process. The last mistake I'm going to talk through today is the mistake of not communicating expectations. So I do think that there is a general mistake that a manager can make of under communicating, but I think there is a subset of that, which is related to what are you expecting of someone, of a team, of an individual? It doesn't matter. And are you effectively communicating that such that that team and individual understands? I created a new role on one of my teams at some point. It didn't really exist in the organization before. So I wrote up a job description and 
really had to sell it to my manager who ultimately totally understood it. And then I opened the role, had a pretty extensive interview process for it and ultimately hired someone who universally everyone who interviewed them said, yeah, this is, this, this person is a great fit, really like them. This person joined and I had a really good idea of what I thought this person should be doing. Like I'd come up with the role in my head and the role was basically taking on a certain set of responsibilities on behalf of the team. So it was a horizontal role that sat across the rest of the team. So I said, when they joined, I said, I want you to be doing X and Y tasks. They said, okay, makes sense. I've done tasks like that before. Easy enough. They start doing these tasks and they start doing them at first, not particularly well. And one example was this person was, I said, I want you to be building relationships with all of the other stakeholders in the organization, essentially to grease the wheels for the work that we do. If you, as an ambassador of our team, in my mind, what I was thinking was if this person is an ambassador of our team and building good relationships, it will make it a lot easier for my team's doing functional work to roll things out that impact those stakeholders. So I said, build relationships with these team members or these stakeholder teams. That was one example. This person was going to those individuals and basically saying, hey, I want to be your buddy. Maybe not in those exact words, but uh, let me just talk to you for a bit and we'll be friends and then I'll have technically built a relationship with you. And I, that wasn't my intention. It is certainly one way to interpret what I said, but it wasn't my intention. And over time, as they did things like that, I started to get a lot of questions from folks in my team and other parts of the org saying, what is this person supposed to be doing? I don't really get this role. What, what should they be up to? Here's my experience with them so far. And it was kind of weird. I, at the time, took no corrective action. And I know I say it now and well, duh, you should have taken corrective action. But at the time, it trust me, my, it made sense in my brain that this was just part of what a brand new role entailed. The, an organization would have to get used to it. And I didn't really dig in very much on how this person was not performing their role. I just knew that they weren't doing, they weren't being effective. And I just thought, well, that's going to take some time. It's a brand new role. And this person's a brand new individual to the organization together. I just need to give some ramp up time for that. It became clear at some point that this individual was absolutely not going to get more effective and their work was not producing value for the organization. And to be clear, I mean that this became clear to me. When it came time for uh, performance reviews that would ultimately dictate bonuses for the year, this individual and I had had a few conversations where I'd said, I think we need to shift gears a bit, take on these additional set of tasks, things like that. But we hadn't had the conversation where we really sat down and said, here is what I expected of you and here is what is actually happening. And the result was, and I remember this vividly, this person came to me right before the review season started and they said, I'm getting married soon. I'm really excited about this bonus that you're going to give me. And I thought to myself, oh, wow, I, it's hard for me to imagine how this individual thinks they're getting a bonus this year. 
given that things just have not gone very well and I think they're getting feedback from the rest of the Oregon. We've even had a couple meetings with each other to talk through what else needs to be done or what needs to be done differently. I ended up giving the review and saying, hey, this first six months of the role really did not go very well. Uh, certainly, I am to blame for some of that. I also think I really wished I'd seen more corrective action from you around some of the things we talked about. And this individual was quite blindsided and really unhappy and ultimately ended up leaving the organization. I, I do think that was the right call. They they weren't quite the right fit for the role. And so it ultimately made sense. But this whole thing could have been avoided if I had just done a couple things differently earlier on. The first is I was pretty clear to this individual on what tasks needed to be accomplished, but I was not very clear to them on why those things were important. If I had both communicated the hey, I want you to be building relationships with these other teams, as well as I want you to be doing this because it will enable our team to deliver work more effectively and it will enable us to get more honest feedback from those teams because you have built trust with them. If I had said that, my guess is that this individual would have approached relationship building differently. If I had said one of the things that our team has a challenge with is working between different parts of the team on cross-functional projects. And I think some of the reason for that is that we don't have much of an organizing function that tries to direct traffic. If I'd said all of that and then explained, I want you to be keeping track of all of the projects and figuring out how we can help these teams deliver them, I probably would have gotten a lot more than just a project tracker. But I didn't provide the context, the why. I just said the what. And this person took those things very literally and did their best, but without the right guidance, the likelihood that they were going to do exactly what I expected of them was quite low. So by not effectively communicating expectations, and then later on, by not effectively checking in on those expectations, I set this person up to fail, which is what ultimately happened. So the lesson here is I need to be clear on both what needs to get accomplished as well as why it needs to get accomplished. And then I need to check in on those things regularly to ensure that they're actually happening. Thank you so much for listening to my list of mistakes that I've made as a manager and what I learned from them. I hope that they've been useful just to review the mistakes we talked about today. These are not a complete list. But the ones we talked about today, under-delegating, over-delegating slash under-supervising, under-communicating, unilateral decision-making, and not communicating expectations. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Management 101. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe and leave a comment or a review. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Management 101, and we'll catch you in the next episode.